All right. Good morning, good afternoon. What's new in adaptive physical education, listeners? It's been a while since we've talked, but I'm excited to have uh, you all on, and we're having an episode on behavior management today. Uh, this is going to be one of three episodes on behavior management, and then also in the archives, I have an episode on w- the history of ADA, and I have one on the history of wheelchair tennis. Um, but we're really, really, really excited to have you here, and uh, I also want to let you know that the SHAPE Conference is happening in Minneapolis uh, April 6th to April 9th. I'm going to be there doing a presentation, so come on by if you want to meet me. I'm doing one on disability sports in a general physical education class. Um, And uh, yeah, so we're going to get started. We're going to talk about um, behavior management with adaptive physical education. We're going to talk about collaboration in there. And we're going to talk about um, sensory integration in this episode. And then the next episodes, we're going to talk about a little bit more um, with those. So I want to welcome some of our guests and really excited because we have some really great guests this time. Um, we always do, but this is exceptional guests. So the first one is we have uh, Celine Viger, and she is a uh, she was a special education uh, ASD teacher in the Portland Public Schools, and now she's an autism specialist there, and is kind of a behavioral consultant. So we're extremely happy to have her. We also have Dr. LeVay, uh, Barry LeVay, who's a professor at the Department of Kinesiology at California State University in Long Beach. And he trains uh, APE teachers and PE teachers. And his uh, specialty is in uh, positive behavior management and physical activity settings. He actually has a new book we wrote with one of my mentors, Dr. French. And uh, this is the third edition. It's brand new, and I, I got it just for this interview, and it's fantastic. has a ton of resources, ideas, and he's done a lot of research on behavior management in the field of physical activity and, and kids with disabilities. Um, and our last guest, this is kind of a cool thing too, is he's our first reoccurring um guest and that's brad wiener uh if you remember he was on our third episode and brad is the national teacher of the year in 2013 from shape and he's you know on the board of every single thing that is uh applicable in our field um the national consortium he's the vice president he's the president of the adaptive physical education uh, maryland board and he came to me actually about uh doing this uh, podcast because he said he did a survey, a needs survey for AP teachers in the state of Maryland, and they said the number one need uh, was behavior management, which I'm going to let him talk a little bit more about in a moment. And we're super excited to have this uh, podcast right now on behavior management. Um, I think behavior management is something that everyone um, has to deal with if they're teaching, or I think there's a lot of different areas. So physical activity, if you're just teaching physical activity out in the private sector as well. Sometimes you have to deal with behavior management issues. Um, But it's a huge need, uh, and I'm going to let Brad talk a little bit about, you know, what he knows about that need. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, I'm currently the president of the Maryland Adaptive Physical Education Consortium, and in the fall, we conducted 
uh, statewide need survey. And from that survey, the results indicated that the physical education teachers and adapt physical education teachers really wanted more professional development in the area of behavioral intervention strategies. Uh, they found that to be the area uh, that they were struggling in and that they really needed that professional development. So I'm thankful that you uh, brought us together here to have a conversation. So I appreciate it. Well, um, this is Barry LeVay, and, and just to uh, piggyback off of that, um, I was involved in a study with Ron French and Hester Henderson. We looked at 90 AP teachers from around the country, and, and one of the things that they said, there were a number of questions, surveys, questions we asked them regarding behavior management, but one of the things they said was they, would, they want more in-services in uh, behavioral interventions, behavior management in general. Uh, the only type of... Um, if they did have any type of in-service and behavior management, it was on crisis intervention. And uh, they wanted other strategies. And a lot of them felt like they had to learn behavior management on the job. And a lot of them, uh, we were involved in another study where we looked at uh, what are PEAT programs, physical education, teacher education programs doing as far as behavior management. And a lot of teachers felt like uh, they weren't always getting the, the training that that they needed. Some felt that they were, but there were some strategies that they needed. So this kind of reinforces what, what Brad is saying and, and in these studies. When you're um, talking about, you know, it's this huge need, and I've heard this at many conferences, I've heard that, you know, it's the number one reason why beginning teachers leave the job is because of behavior management issues. I've heard these things, and I know it's a well-documented thing. Why why have we not been able to successfully tackle it as a field? Well, I, I personally I think, and this is something that I feel strongly about, is that <clears throat> I we believe that behavior management is part of pedagogy. And a lot of times, the, one of the uh, surveys that we did, when we looked at uh, the pedagogy and looked at what they were receiving, uh, a lot of times they're looking at lots of things, how to develop lesson plans, how to teach, how to do instruction. And so behavior management is just one piece of that. And so they're not always getting the training that they need. And if they do get some theory, are they going out in the schools and getting to practice that behavior management before they actually go out and, and teach? So I think that's one of the issues. Now, there's some schools that are you know, doing a, a fine job of training teachers to do that, but but others and 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 once they get out there, a lot of problems, a lot of situations are unique, and they and many of them feel like they don't have all the strategies that they need. You need a big toolbox of many many skills um, available to you. That's what I would share. To what you were saying, a lot of them. I can speak to myself. I didn't have a lot of experience when I started the workforce. But over the years, I built my toolbox. I built the strategies that would support. And I got a better understanding of how to uh, plan an environment that would support them. So, yeah, it, it, experience is huge. Right. And the other thing I would share is that appropriate behavior just doesn't automatically occur. I think sometimes a lot of um, students, when they're in teacher training, they just think, okay, the, these 
good behaviors will just automatically occur. And many children will uh, listen to instruction, but there's some children, especially children with special needs, that it, they're challenging and they need to ha be ready and uh, have some, some training uh, with that. But experience certainly is an issue, but we should also be training them so they're ready for this. So let's talk a little bit about um, that beginning stage of, or should be a beginning stage of behavior management, and what we're learning about in our classes, our college courses, which is uh, the philosophy that goes behind behavior management. Um, let's talk a little bit about that philosophy, maybe some of your philosophies that you have, and then what does that mean to somebody that's actually out in the field? What does that one of the things I try to do with my students is I talk to them about it. philosophy is important because it's a roadmap. It's going to help you look and examine your, your teaching. You need a roadmap. It's going to guide you in your teaching, and you need a roadmap for behavior management. And one of the things that I think is important is you just start with a continuum, and you, you start looking at uh, being proactive. What kinds of preventive strategies am I going to develop to work with my um, students? And from there, I'm going to go with what kinds of strategies am I going to use that are positive to increase their, their good behaviors, but realizing that you're going to have children that are going to act inappropriately. And third is what type of behaviors and what kind of skill set do I have to work with children that are challenging, that, off, that have inappropriate behaviors? How do I redirect those behaviors? And that... You know, these good behaviors just don't always automatically occur. And so that's where you start and you start with this with this idea that you start to develop some type of philosophy that you're going to work with and you start to implement that. Um, I learned quickly in my career, like we were just talking about, that if I can't manage behavior, I can't teach. And I want to make it a positive experience for me. I want to make it a positive experience um, for my students. So you need to go in there with a plan and develop some type of uh, continuum, realizing that even if you go in with a plan, there's still um, some things that you're going to need to do. For me, uh, I feel like there needs to be an understanding that you're not by yourself and it uh, should be a collaborative approach. So oftentimes, if I'm struggling in my environment, uh, a lot of physical educators may not step forward to collaborate with other teachers mm -hmm. and to see if maybe the classroom teacher is having a similar issue or maybe the classroom teacher has already addressed this issue with certain strategies that I could use in my environment. And so uh, I feel it's very important for any teacher when thinking about behavior to really think of a collaborative approach and to be open to talk. And they may not come to talk to you, but you need to leave your gym and go and, and talk to some other teachers, the educational team. Uh, going along with that also, it's also very important that I know my students as individuals and not just know my class as a whole. But uh, one student with individual may benefit from one strategy where another student may benefit from a different strategy. So I really have to know my, my students as individuals. Uh, so I agree with both of you. Um, having a platform or a philosophy of, in terms of classroom management or behavior management. Um, and also the collaborative approach. A lot of times, like the first-year teachers are always afraid of um, asking for help. 
And um, so that's one thing that's missing, um, asking for help, asking for support, for feedback. And then um, knowing your students. Um, they forget about that. Um, once they come in the classroom, they immediately jump to like teaching lessons without thinking that you have to um, establish a classroom expe uh, classroom expectations or having that solid um, plan for behavior management before teaching your students the skills. Scott, I just want to reinforce what, what Brad and Celine said. Uh, collaboration is really critical. And I think a lot of PE teachers feel like, oh, this is a sign of weakness if I ask for help. The first thing they should do is find out, is there a school-wide behavior intervention plan going on in their school? That should be the first thing. And if there's not, they should be going to that special ed teacher or that classroom teacher and say, they, they know that child best. They, they see that child all day. And what kind of strategies are you working on? And how can we work together and how can we collaborate? But that takes an effort. That, that takes walking out of the gym, making an effort to meet with that special ed teacher. So that's critical. The last piece that they said, if I was going to pick one thing, whether it's behavior management or it's effective teaching, you've got to connect with your students. You've got to find out what's idiosyncratic to them, what motivates them. And that takes time. And there's a lot of different ways that we can explore that you can talk, you know, that we could talk about that. It could be as simple as um, sending notes home to their parents and saying, tell me what your child likes to do. At, at home? What activities does your child do at home? What activities uh, do you do as a family? You know, talk to that, that special ed classroom teacher. Uh, maybe there's a behavioral intervent interventionist on your campus or in your school district. And so talk to them. But connecting with students is number one is you have to connect. And the point Celine made is new teachers are so hung up on and they're drilled in school about they got to get their lesson plans correct. What Celine was just talking about, she touched on, you know, setting those expectations. And I think that's, you know, a, a you know, it's a, it's a topic that I definitely wanted to hit on. You know, how do you establish your expectations? Um, what are the first steps? And then how do you keep that, that um, those expectations relevant throughout the year? And what does that look like specifically for PE? Well, um, the way that I would look at that is expectations are your rules. I, I like the term expectations because then students know these are what uh, is expected of them. And I, I think the first thing you, you need to do is you need to ask yourself as a teacher, what are your expectations? What do you want students to do? If I was to teach a class, I would like my students, for example, to listen to instruction. I would like them to respect equipment. I would like them to share and be do their best and be respectful of others. And so I would make those into simple rules. And I think you need to have no more than five or six expectations because they can't handle more than that. And, and maybe if you can come up with a catchy acronym or something that they can hang their, their hat to and understand, that's important. But to the point, um, you need to post them. You need to, they need to be visual. You need to, uh, the other thing I would say is you need to go over them and teach expectations just like you would teach somebody how to dribble a basketball. It's a, it's a skill. And you've got, just because you did that during your orientation period in September, you need to revisit it later in the year, especially when they come back from vacation. Like when they come, when Brad comes, they come back from Brad's spring break, right? You got to review them. 
and to the point where it's a routine. I, I would say that's and that first two weeks is having that orientation period and and so that they understand these these expectations, these routines. That that would be what I would share. That's exactly it. And what I often do is start a year off with playing a game where it is directed to uh, where they should be for instruction or how they should, uh, how I gain attention. So it may be moving around the environment and then I use my signal of attention constantly. They freeze or they do a task and then they keep moving. But I am uh, training them in order to listen to what my signal of attention is so that throughout the year, whenever I use this form of uh, signal, they know what my expectation is. And so uh, I'm in putting it into a lot of game format in the beginning of the year. And you're right. After a long break, it's good to review it and go over it. Uh, but I also need to, talking about the expectations and, and the way I deliver it should be in a meaningful way to the students and a method that they uh, comprehend material. So that goes back to me knowing how the right. students are comprehending material. Some visually, some uh, auditorily, uh, some through movement. So uh, I need to know this and then present my expectations in this format. Great point. Especially check, you know, checking for understanding and what type of learner are they? Are they auditory? Are they visual? How do they learn? And and reviewing these these rule, you know, expectations with them and, and visual when they walk in, they see them. Is that kind of? Are you suggesting somewhat for behavior management that with learning styles that if we're not reaching their learning styles, that could be a reason that some of those behaviors are manifesting? Of course. And that's just good pedagogy. Yeah. I want to go back now for a moment to uh, what we talked about a little while ago about collaboration and how important that is. And I, this is uh, one of my research topics is collaboration. I, I strongly agree it needs to be in every aspect of our daily lives, uh, collaboration. And I think it, it helps so much. But um, what is, you know, how do we collaborate on a regular basis? How do we collaborate for those uh, those BIP behavior intervention plans? And I want to know for Celine. Celine is an autism um, specialist, a consultant in schools, and I want to know how do you eventually get into play uh, for our for our students? Because I know I had to go through. Um, I had a, a some high need behavioral students, and I know I had a. It took me a long time to get in connection with one of my, my consultants like that. And it might have helped me if I had a direction to get to with that person a little faster. I think one biggest challenge is the time constraint. Um, finding a way for the IPT members to set a date and time to talk about the behavior of concern. Um, and another thing is a lot of team members um, are hesitant to develop or get into the FBA or the BIT process because it's very complex and time-consuming and there's a lot of paperwork to be completed. Um, so for as an autism specialist, I make sure that um, there is usually the case manager is the lead FBA um, in developing that. 
And um, she or he is the one who sets a date and a time for everyone to meet. Um, emails are usually the, the easiest way for us to collaborate. Um, and then we assign each member of the team to, let's say, okay, the teacher will be the one conducting or collecting the data in the classroom. And then the AP teacher or the PE teacher will be the one collecting data for this target of behavior of concern during PE. So every member of the team has a role and then and a timeline. And after that, we meet and assess, um, okay, what are the next steps for this um, FBA or the BIP? So for me as a physical educator, I may not know Celine. Uh, I may not know that she may even exist, but what I can do is go to that special education teacher, talk right. about to the special education teacher about my concerns, and the special education teacher may say, yeah, I'm having the same concerns. I'm meeting with Celine, and then I, as a physical educator, I would say, well, I would like to join you with this meeting so that I can be part of this process and that I can take data as well so that I um, I could, one, know this, what is happening and what is being looked at. I'm taking data within my own room. And then when we talk about the behavior plan, I am part of that behavior plan. And I know it very well because I was part of the process of developing it so that I can implement it into my surrounding. Well, one uh, point I'd like to share is some physical educators, a lot of times they feel overwhelmed and special ed could perhaps reach out to them and say, here's a, uh, a checklist of behaviors. And when so-and-so is included, you know, when this child is included into general PE, can you check off? And it could be very quickly something that they could check off on a rubric, their behaviors. And that way you have this open line of communication going back and forth when that child uh, goes to physical education. And that's one easy way. But I, I think the, the point is made that sometimes you hear functional behavior assessment and you hear this behavior intervention plan and there is a lot of paperwork involved in that. And, um, but, but the physical educator needs to reach out and say, hey, hey, how can I get involved? And it's just going to make things a lot easier for everyone involved. And just for my listeners, just so they're aware, uh, because I don't think we are always aware of behavioral consultants and such, that Celine's in Portland uh, Public Schools, but her position should be at just about every public school around. So they are there for us. All right. So let's uh, talk a little bit about those learning styles again. What does that look like for some different types of disabilities and how do we, how do we, what's the nitty gritty? Tell me exactly how do we reach those learning styles within PE? It's let's go through visual, auditory, kinesthetic. How do we, how do we reach those learning styles? I think one thing that we also have to remember whenever a student has an IEP um, for every member of the team, including the gen ed, um, teachers or the PE teachers is to know the accommodations and modifications on the IEP because sometimes, no, not sometimes, a lot of times, you know, teachers would call us and say, hey, you know, we have a problem. We need you to come in and look at the behavior of this student. Um, and then forgetting that, oh, you know, have we put the accommodations or modifications for that setting in place? And those modifications, accommodations, they include behavioral supports. 
So that's one thing that also the team needs to um, consider. Uh, I would say that, you know, this is, although it's behavior management, we're also talking about just good pedagogy is that uh, finding out what kind of learner the student is. And if they're a visual learning, using more visuals and working with that classroom teacher, uh, a special ed teacher is critical. Maybe they're a kinesthetic learner and and you're going to use physical guidance. Maybe you're going to reach out and have a peer tutor that's going to going to help them. And so there's just, you know, this just gets into good teaching, differentiated instruction, having a, a, a rubric with uh, task variation. Those are all uh, effective strategies that uh, work. And I'm, I'm sure Brad uses a lot of those every day, you know. Yeah, I have some students that uh, may be advanced in one area. And a way that I can use them is to provide that peer instruction or, or peer helping if they can teach the skill that is more advanced than them performing it. So here I am meeting their needs in order to advance their learning to teach somebody else, but also giving one-on-one support to a student that may be struggling. And so it goes into, um, again, knowing my students and then using them to where they are uh, a le- where they are able to continue to learn and challenge themselves, but also where everybody's able to move forward. And one thing is, is that if I don't use my students that are really skilled very well, then they may get bored and I may have a behavioral issue on my hands. So knowing how to keep them challenged uh, is very important as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and the whole idea of when they become a peer tutor, now they're taking ownership and that can be extremely motivation, motivational. You know, and and that just gets into they just feel fulfilled by helping out. And that gets into that whole piece of self-responsibility and what we're trying to do with a lot of our students. So I think that's great. But uh, going back to the sensory implications, uh, a student may come into my room and start to struggle. And I have to know, is it because there's a, a loud sound? Or is it because it's too light in the environment? Or um, do they need uh, some vestibular motion to get out some energy right in the beginning? Uh, so I, I really need to go and know what is my, how is my environment impacting the student's learning? And is it impacting the student's learning uh, visually, tactilely, or auditorily? Yeah, along the lines of sensory, I, I think it's really important to find out what is going on sensory and wise with that child and talking to, again, the special ed classroom teacher, the parents, maybe a note home. Most importantly, that's what OTs do. That's what occupational therapies, you know, they do a lot of sensory, finding out what's going on. And maybe, you know, as Brad said, examining your gym. Gyms can be challenging settings. They're they're open. They're, there's a lot of noise. There's a lots of lines. And, and how do you best try to structure your environment so it's cons- there's consistency and that just gets into being proactive and having a, a consistent environment a structured environment and how important that is and that leads into that whole sensory and not being afraid to do sensory breaks and if the child needs a sensory break and um, that that's really critical and you know one of the things I share with my university students if you're going to get 15 really good minutes out of this child and by trading off a one-minute sensory break, it's worth it. 
And it might be as simple as having them just step out for a minute and do a self timeout and then come back in and join the group. Real, real quick, I want to ask just for our, our listeners, um, when we say sensory break, what is a sensory break? Well, it, it, could, it could be a lot of things, but it could be as simple as just a self timeout where you go outside and, and you just get away from the environment. But it could also be something like there's maybe there's something that you like to that you need to manipulate. It depends on the child. And I've seen AP teachers that will work with a child for 15, 20 minutes and then they can go for a sensory break and, and work with some. There are many, many things that are that are sensory, you know, that can be used for sensory. I may have a student that may leave the environment with a power educator, go for a walk around the hallway and come back. Um, when I was teaching general physical education, I had a student in first grade who had a lot of sensory needs. And in terms of a sensory break, I did just that. I set up a hula hoop in the corner of my gym with a small six-foot parachute. And if he, he was able to take sensory breaks on his own, if he, saw, if he felt that things were becoming overwhelming, he went over to the hula hoop, he sat in the hula hoop, he put the parachute over his head, and he calmed himself down. And he would return back to the class. If for some reason he sat there for too long, I would go over and uh, have a conversation with him to try to pull him back in. But oftentimes he was able, he was a student that was able to take a sensory break on his own. Where by putting the parachute over his head, it took away the whole environment and he was able to calm himself down. Just one last thing about sensory break, Scott, is I think for a lot of if it's an inclusion setting and for general PE teachers, this is sort of foreign to them. And so we need to, as AP teachers and the classroom teacher, explain this concept of sensory breaks. And, you know, because they're used to teaching and then all of a sudden you've got to be real flexible with uh, some of these concepts. With sensory integration um, and implications, I want to touch on that a little bit more. And we have the two types of sensory integration issues. We have hypo and hyper uh, sensitivity. And uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing Temple Grandin speak on the issue uh, twice now. And I'm you know very happy I've seen her. Um, and she you know explained it as hypo sense. Everyone has a cup. And that cup gets filled, and those are different. We have a different cup for every uh, sensory um, system, you know, vestibular or tactile. We each have a different cup. And for some of us, we have different size cups. And either we have really small cups, and they get filled up really quick, and they start to overflow. And those are hypersensitive kids. Um, and they get too much stimulation too quickly. And we have ones that have really big cups. They have big gulps from 7-Eleven, and they'll ne- they never get filled. Um, so we talked a little bit about assessing for or finding out our kids and what what sensory issues they have. How do we find out what their sensory input issues are, especially if um, you know they have communication issues? It was mentioned earlier that um, to speak with the OT and ask um, if the OT can look at the child and conduct a sensory um, profile assessment and identify, you know, what are the different kinds of sensory um, difficulties does this child have and how do we address this. Um, And another for a classroom teacher, um, I usually do, when I was teaching, I usually do um, the first few weeks of, you know, classes, I would do an assessment. Um, whereas I would be able to provide different sensory input and be able to assess, okay, 
does this child gravitate towards the tactile um, materials or does this child a visual learner or does this child need uh, a compression vest? Does the child need a joint um, pressure or joint, um, yeah, compression? So um, I think for the teachers is to have that assessment, but we also be careful of what kind of input you're providing. And another information that you can get is from the um, special ed teachers for the PE teachers and also asking the parents, doing a um, parent interview. Those are really good information that you can get from. It goes back to that collaboration and uh, occupational therapists and physical therapists are other people to a part of the team to collaborate with. In this sense, the occupational therapist would be a great resource. And then once identifying those needs, the occupational therapist will also be able to provide strategies mm -hmm. to use within the environment to meet the needs. Does this student need some deep pressure mm -hmm. opportunities uh, or does this student need uh, less uh, pressure, less uh, tactile input? All right, APE listeners, uh, that will be it for today. Expect the next episode to be out very shortly as I have two more episodes on behavior management to come out and I have another one or two on history to come out. So expect those to be coming out uh, about every week or every other week. All right, have a great day and I hope you enjoy your Easter.